0: A Saigon apple beer. No. What are you talking about? What's that? What? You don't know? They taste so good. There's chili, ginger, and this one's apple. I'm trying to speak more Vietnamese. Try this fermented apple juice. You're not speaking Vietnamese. You're speaking English. Show me what you're drinking. Here. Uh, Saigon cider. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Fermented apple juice. If you want to enjoy a Saigon cider while we're stuck in lockdown, you can still get delivery through Classic Deli or by Nature. Check out the links in the notes. Welcome to episode two, season two of 7 Million Bikes. Thanks for listening. My name is Neil Mackay. I'm your host as always. And with me today is Biscuit, who's asleep on the couch as always. But my guest um, is Sen Nguyen, who I'm very excited to talk to. Today is going to be um, maybe a little bit more serious than previous episodes because the topic is quite serious. And I do have to give a little bit of a warning that we will be talking about sexual abuse today in Vietnam. And so if that is something that might be um, a trigger to you or something that would be discomforting, then please feel free to stop listening at this point. But if you are interested um please keep listening. We're going to be talking about her life as a journalist and covering sexual abuse in Vietnam as well and her experiences of course of living in Saigon because she's actually from Hanoi. So thank you for joining me today Sen.
1: Wow, that was a very uh, big introduction. Thank you, Neil, for having me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How are you doing today?
1: I'm have been very welcomed by your uh, puppy pes- biscuits, So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> She's, <a bit> <laughs> She's an
0: adorable. Um, so you're from Hanoi originally. Yes, I was
1: born and raised um, in Hanoi. And when I was twenty one, I left the country for the first time to went to Korea to go to Korea for studying.
0: Ah, okay, and was, yeah. was that like a university degree?
1: Yes, it was. Um, it, uh, I was very fortunate. I got the Korean Government Scholarship, and I went there. Originally, it was just for one year, and then I liked it so much, I transferred my study, and one year um, became two, three years.
0: So what did you like about Korea? Wow.
1: Well, it's... Um Good question I, I like so much so many things i gained almost 10 kilos the first year i was there so i guess the first thing is food um i didn't live in seoul i lived in a much smaller town i think it's the fifth largest in korea seoul is the, is, 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 the, is the biggest um it's named guangju and guangju is has only like 1.5 million when i was there and it was a very warming um affectionate community at least in my experience and um, I learned so much from it because I Never left Vietnam before. I mean, I think my parents took me to China when I was little, but I I remember it v- vaguely um, So it was a huge culture shock for me even though everybody kind of look like me, but they don't um, I look like them. I, I'm always mistaken to be Korean um, When I'm with Chinese people, They think I'm one of them. So I <laughs> I guess one of the things I like about Korea is just that I look indifferent, but when I do express myself, they see that I'm different and they accept that. I I feel, at least in Guangzhou, I'm not sure how it is in Seoul.
0: And do you mean culturally different?
1: Culturally different, um, mindset different. They find it very bizarre to hear Vietnamese women speaking an American accent to them. I repeatedly said I've never been to America. I've never been outside of Asia. Please trust me. I've, I've never been anywhere near there. And like, there's no way you sound like you do. There's no way Vietnamese people sound like you do. I'm like, well, <laughs> this kid is like agreeing with me. Yeah? <laughs> um, but I, I mean, yeah, we, I, I do. This is how I, I talk. Um, be, that, one of the reasons is because Vietnam, Vietnamese woman is the largest migrant bride. In Korea, mm-hmm. at the moment, when I was there, it was the second largest. Now it's the largest.
0: I read your article about yes. this. Yeah.
1: Um. So, for them, this is the image of Vietnamese women that they have. Like less educated, they don't speak English. They come and spawn the town. They, I'm not that expressive. I'm like, well, there are other people are just like us. Uh, I mean, there are other people like like me. Um. So for them, it's just very bizarre, and I. Love seeing that re- interaction, just to break down the, you know, the stereotype you have of Vietnamese woman in your face.
0: <laughs> How did that manifest? Like, what would they say to you?
1: Um, it was never. Well, there was one time it was outright discrimination, but like that was very rare. Um, it, I I got asked more than once if I came to Korea for marriage, which is. I guess standard if they think that Vietnamese women came to Korea That's in the marriage.
0: assumption if you're Vietnamese right. and you yeah. in Korea you're right. That's
1: true mm-hmm. and the other thing would just be like I don't know if you would call that positive discrimination when they just feel so odd and and taken back to hear me speaking English to them in that way um, so I feel this a very complex privilege like I'm I'm a Vietnamese migrant woman but I'm not a wife in Korea so I got this double Experiences of being there, which is very rewarding. I there there are complications there, but I learn a lot from it. So for me, that's important at the end of the day that I got to got got to learn something. Mm.
0: And so I read your article, and I was absolutely disgusted. So do you want to tell our listeners then a little bit more about the situation? You're just mentioning now that Vietnam is now the biggest exporter of brides to Korea. I, I mean, when I read your article, I didn't even really know that. That was a thing. You know, you always hear about Russian brides, you know, in, in mm. the West anyway. It's kind of, you, you hear about, you know...
1: Are we talking about the South Korean brokers? Yeah,
0: yeah. So tell tell our listeners a little bit about that if they haven't read your article.
1: Mm, okay. So, it's let's just make it simple. So, um, Korea has been suffering from a low birth rate. It's one of the lowest birth rates in the world. And... Essentially, what is happening now is that those suburban areas and less rural, like rural areas, they are suffering from the lack of wives because women, when they get a degree, they are more educated. They move to the city or further overseas for better opportunities. Whereas men, who are farmers mostly, uh, fishermen, they stay where they are to keep up with the family businesses. So, but they, they can't find a house. They can't find a wife. Um, so what happened was that this year, South Korean women, uh, South Korean government, uh, offer subsidies to thirty-five munis- How do you say that word? Municipal?
0: Municipalities.
1: Municipalities, uh, which is called what is it like, marriage uh, subsidies to these uh, local, localities so they can use this money to go overseas to find a, a spouse. The idea is, so, so the target is mainly men, obviously. Um, the idea is wonderful. Like you want to, everyone to have family, blah, 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 but it doesn't guarantee protection and rights for the other for the other half, right? And one of these, uh, this subsidy, one of the things that is covered is brokerage fees. Now, they can use it however, however they want. It's for brokerage service. But then they don't actually anticipate how um, eh, these brokers are doing to offer these services. And I came across this report that was um, written by a watchdog organization in Korea. Now I have to mention this. This is this is one of like the backstage story when it comes to any journalist's um, work. I killed myself writing this story because all the findings or reports were in Korean. I had to read it in Korean, process it in my brain, explain it in Vietnamese to my boss, and then write it in English. I, I think I, I have a few gray hair after that. <laughs> it was insane. Like the story came out just as I want it to be. It could be better, but I, I, it's quite satisfying for me. But yeah, it was very difficult. And uh, yeah, so um, they would offer these brokerage fees and essentially, some of the some of these South Korean brokers they go online, they go on YouTube, and in Korea there's also Naver, which is a Korean version of social network instead of Facebook. Um, and they promote these women in ways of like if, if you scroll through Amazon, you see product without the specifics. That's how it goes. That, that's how they look. They ha- they even number these women, and 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 their information about their age, where they're from, their hobbies. A, how willing they are to marry a Korean man, what they're looking for in a man. But the other way around this picture is not available, as in these women don't see the men who are looking at them. And by law in Korea, South Korean brokers can Korean brokers cannot show more than one woman at a time. But at that space, in on an online platform, they're seeing a thousand women in a day. That's obviously something wrong there. Um, so, my story was just going through that direction. There's only one thing that I regret I regret about that story is I didn't get to talk to any of these women. Because when you look at these YouTube videos that's showing them one by one uh, as a marriage item, they don't show their contact details, they only show their, 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 their names. I tried to track one of them down, but obviously they didn't want to speak to me. I also contacted the numbers. Uh, listed in the YouTube channel, information, like, about, like, because they say, if you like any of these girls, contact us. Here's our number, blah, blah, blah. I did text them. I did say who I am and then, then respond, um, which is fair and understandable, I guess. But, yeah, that's a, that's a very intense story. But we don't know if any of them is being coerced into doing mm-hmm. this. We don't know, because I'm not a human trafficking expert. I can't mm-hmm. see the signs. But, yes, there, there has been pushback. I when I shared the articles, one of the people was like one of the readers was like, Well what what is the difference with Tinder then? It's it's very similar. We put people online, and they and they consent to it. What's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, these women want the same thing. They want to get a husband. What's wrong with that? Um and I talked to a uh, um gender expert. He works at IC, he's a Hanoi NGO. And he said that it doesn't matter if these women consent, it's how they portray it. It's problematic mm-hmm. here. You don't see men being portrayed the same way, you don't see even if they are it's still wrong um I, I i don't I don't think it's fair for all these women to become one of the items in the list, and what I will push back though is that do they know this is how they have been portrayed, and have they been pushed back, and if they do, what do these brokers say um so we it's, it's, it's a very complicated situation. I don't think I have the 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 black and white um, answer here if it doesn't sit well then there's something wrong. If you were to put your wife in that list, yeah, or if you're your sister in that list, how would you feel? Um, so I would ask myself that question, because we, we don't really know what's going on behind the YouTube, YouTube screen, and that's scary.
0: And in your article, you mentioned, so most of these women come from poor rural areas in Vietnam, right?
1: Statistically, that's
0: what we so know so far It's a kind of, you know, it's a symptom of poverty, right? That these women are then putting themselves forward Willingly or not Because mm. they come from a poor background themselves mm. And then they're being offered this route to Korea Which, So how do the women perceive, from what you know How do they perceive this process that I'm going to go to Korea And what what do they think their life is going to be like Versus what their life will actually be like Or could actually be like
1: mm. I would uh, say yes, statistically, a lot of these women who have gone to Korea and have shown interest that they want to go to Korea for marriage are usually not from big cities like Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City. Because unfortunately, a lot of parents still think that the ultimate goal of a Vietnamese woman is to get married to a good family and to a husband that can provide, make you happy. Sure. That's not, the, but that's not the only way to be happy. That's not the only way to have a fulfilling life. And I have to say that these narratives that are being implant in in Vietnamese women's minds, are not only omnipresent in rural areas. I have been one of those. I have, I have received this story from my family. Um, so I'm not fishing for compliments. So just don't say anything. But I've grew up all my life listening to my family say I'm not pretty. Up until I was 18, when I moved out, I don't listen to those things anymore. But uh, this is what I heard, and they would tell me that basically because you don't have a Vietnamese beauty standard, I th- we think that it's best for you to get married to a foreign man because that I know I can see your face right now. You know, is what happened. This is my life, and they would be like, "Oh, can you know, foreign men? They are much better off and more educated, and you can move abroad." And this is what I heard all my life. Um. So when they talk about like, oh, this is only happened to rural women. I'm. I'm not. I'm gonna say it's not true. City women have to hear this narrative as well. But we have the privilege. We have the education to. Some of us can jump through that that loophole and be like, this is not the only way I can live my life. Um. So this is this is narrative, yeah. And it and it becomes it. Whether it manifests into a reality depends on you, and. Um other external factors, but so yeah, they would think that that is their way to get a better life. but there have been numerous accounts of um sexual violence, domestic violence um, in, Korea. in Korea um done on migrant wives and Vietnamese women, unfortunately, many of them um we recently run a story about a Vietnamese woman who became. A police in South Korea. She she actually lived in the same city that I that I did, and she said since she became a general, uh, a, a police officer, the rates of domestic violence have not decreased. It's actually either stagnant or, or increasing, which is scary because um a lot of the women here they don't know about it. They still think that Korea is what is it is a is a Asian version of American dream, I guess. Like, but it's not true, and all these reports and findings are not within their reach because they're not reading this. They they only see the the tunnel vision, which is not a fault of theirs because they their their goal is to not uh, be bothered by the complication, but it is to get there to have a happier life that they can provide to their family. So the root problem here, I think, is not that these women are. Uh, how do you say it they're not gold diggers but they are they deprived. just want a better life they deprive education opportunities they are deprived of information and they are deprived of um the narratives where they can make it on their own without relying on a better off male
0: so these women are not being sold right they're being offered the opportunity is that what it is and then there,
1: there are evidence that some of them are trafficked right. um so i'm not gonna say that there's no human trafficking elements mm. in it
0: but the way it's presented is here's an opportunity to i mean that's go to a, Korea.
1: all human trafficking story has that element mm. of incentive yeah. Oh, we have a good job in China. Do you want to come over? Mm. Oh, there's a very loving, kind of all Korean man, but he has money and he can take care of it. Would you like to come? There's always incentive there, mm. right? Because
0: um, I, I do work with, uh, as a my through my job, we, do, we support Blue Dragon, who you're yeah. probably aware of an mm-hmm. unbelievable job about sex trafficking. And they do a lot of initiatives to go into places like Wei, where there's disadvantaged rural women who have been trafficked and children as well and they go in and educate right at the village level to be like you know if someone comes in and they offer you this opportunity and they're Mm. telling you it's going to be like this this is the reality is there anything in place right now to help these women who are being put on YouTube and sold like cattle to Korea or is that just going to continue on like you're saying Vietnam is now the biggest exporter which is a crazy thing to put it like that but the biggest exporter of brides
1: Mm-hmm, of women of, of women
0: to another country is there anything in place to stop that happening
1: okay you're asking about solutions um, so in my story the South Korean broken story I did mention that I contacted the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family in Korea and they didn't respond um, which should have been in a story but it's not um, but I did uh, contact them and unfortunately there was no response and Vietnam is doing, it's making progress. I'm, I'm, I have to say, it's not like we are aware of the problem and and we are avoiding it. It's not that. And media coverage is a, a step forward. It's a step forward. It's it's it's, it's a step that pushes towards that that goal. I don't think we can ever. I'm going. I'm going to be blunt. I don't think we can ever eradicate this problem for good. It's it's always gonna be there. There's always some woman is gonna make it get tricked. Boys are being tricked, trafficking, being trafficked as well for labor, mostly to the UK, for example. Um, but what, if, what is important to me that, make we, that we are making progress towards that direction. Um, there has been uh, commitment and efforts by both governments. This is not recent; uh, it had happened since many stories and accounts and evidence that South Korean uh, men are abusing their migrant wives. So there has been educational programs for wives to learn Korean, to learn about the culture. There has been, however, there has been less lesson and program for the men to learn about their spouse, culture aspects and what they need and so on. And that's rare. And for me, that's where it should be hit harder. Um, It should be pushed further that understanding should come from both sides and and there is this law in korea i'm i'm going to paraphrase here so do listener if you catch catch me making mistakes please go ahead and let me know um there is a law in korea where the the migrant wives cannot stay or retain her residence if a divorce happens and she cannot prove that it's from both sides what 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 does that mean that means if she cannot prove that her, her husband is also doing something she has to leave and has, has to leave everything behind and in many cases their children there but that's for me is very bizarre because a divorce is hardly ever just one person's fault right mm-hmm. right right biscuit mm-hmm. um um so that is that, that that law to me it just doesn't make any sense And so there should be some changes there. And I think attention is being put there. There's many problematic uh, issues in the legal framework in Korea when it comes to dealing with and helping and protecting migrant women. Um, Solution here, there is uh, also uh, educational programs done by the government and non-governmental organizations. Blue Dragon is doing a wonderful job. Um, I can't think of other organizations on on top of my head. There are many forums on Facebook created by migrant Vietnamese women themselves for other migrant Vietnamese women um, to know about the life there as well as to help each other um, make it in Korea.
0: So the migrant women who are creating Facebook pages, is that to give advice and support other Vietnamese women in Korea? And what kind of advice are they giving them?
1: Oh, like, um, I'm. I didn't go through everything, but the latest update was, uh, like language lessons, tax, uh, handling. great um, so practical. Very practical, Not like... very practical advice. Right. Uh, language services because language barrier is always a thing. Hmm. I don't know if uh, you have heard of it. There was a very recent case of South Korean man beating a Vietnamese, his, his Vietnamese wife for three hours and it was, yeah, I heard about it that was that. on, on YouTube. Um, and it was, it was explosive, mm, right? That was it, in
0: Vietnam, right? No, it was in Korea. Oh, that was in Korea. It was in, okay, it was yeah. in
1: Korea. And what was to me, I'm, this is going to sound horrible, but to me to see that is it has become a normal thing for, for many people because in Vietnam, beating your wife is seen as a culture thing, and it's very sad. But what is saddening to me that was that there was a kid in that video, and he was or she was observing all of this, and 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 she's going and he, and that child is going to be traumatized. And to me, that's where my focus is at. I'm. Adults they can go work through this. There are many mechanisms that can help them. But I don't know how to, what is going to happen with the kid and the media. The Korean media hasn't hasn't talked much about the kid, which I understand because he needs his privacy or she needs his privacy. But I was very curious to learn how they um, give him remedies. Um, but uh, so because of that incident and it's gone so spread out that it alert the Korean government on a top level and they actually express a regret. I've never seen that before. I've never seen, at least in my time, or maybe I'm out of date when it comes to information, but I've never seen any South Korean top government or official express a regret that one of my people is being hit by his citizen in their country. And to me, I'm, I'm not saying this would yield into any solution because we haven't seen it yet, but I see an acknowledgement there, and that's that's a that's a very big step. There's a breakthrough for me to see that. So solution, if you, if you want to create a problem, they should know there's a problem there in the first place, right? Um, and I'm glad that we are making that progress. I'm excited to see more, and I'm going to talk about this as a journalist. Not as an activist. So <laughs> we better shift back questions to yeah. journalist questions now.
0: Well, what was the follow up from, from that video? Like, has that man been arrested? Obviously, the Korean government stepping in. Yeah, he was arrested. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: however, there hasn't been any more information about what ch- charges he, he would face and how many years he would spend in jail. We know that he was arrested shortly after the video was published. But that's the thing, you know. We don't know if that was just like, the bandage solution like oh yeah he he hit someone it's so bad we're just gonna arrest him and we don't know what happened to the guy after and that's what I would like to know
0: and in light of the divorce law that you've just mentioned and so if she was to then divorce him
1: actually after that the South Korean court ruled in favor of the migrant woman but they because they can see that they're so disadvantaged in, in many of these situations so they rule the, uh, the case of, in favor of her. So she can stay if she wants to. Oh, but really? she wants a divorce in custody. Rightly so. Fairly.
0: Now, I want to pick up on something you said just, just a minute ago. Um, you talked about education for the men in this situation, right? Which I think, yeah, it's so crucial, right? Because so often it's, oh, what can the women do to stop this, right? But they're the victims. They're not the perpetrators. And this goes back, you know, growing up. Or you talk about kind of rape culture, and you go, what was the women, what was the woman wearing, things like that. You know, mm. you've had this advice in the past, not so much now. I don't think, but in the past, like you know, don't go out in a dark lit area with a short dress on. But it's like, well, a woman should be able to go wherever she wants, dressed whatever she wants. She's not inviting rape by being dressed like that. So that is good. That is important. I think that the men are educated like too, you mm. know in this process as well. But it ties into. I was reading. I've read some of your articles. And the one that um, kind of like I, I felt uneasy about was the edge. Well, there's women now being given self defense lessons. Ah,
1: uh-huh, that's my favorite. Okay. And as soon
0: as I read that, I was like, oh but no, they shouldn't be taught self defense. The men should be taught not to sexually abuse them. And I know that it's a practical solution, uh, but at the same time, I'm like, women shouldn't have to learn self defense. You know what I mean? That should not be the solution to this problem. That's very
1: interesting. Yeah, this is going to be a heated debate. I, this is, you're not the first one who brought that up, like, why should we teach them self study men we should teach men this? Well, w- but there's nobody teaching men just yet. There's, 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 I haven't seen any, any, any education of this large scale that's big enough for us to pay heed to it, that men should not be doing this and that. So in the meantime, we are going to do this mm-hmm. on our own. We're going to take care of ourselves. Just, just like we, we all, we all agree that this issue cannot be so one side. So while we are sorting our stuff, you guys, we wait until you guys sorted out your stuff. Yeah. So when it comes to this story, we, it's very easy to fall into that logical fallacy of like, what about this and What about this? And what about that? Well, this story, the, the, the existence of this story, the fact that I'm bringing it up doesn't discredit other story. doesn't discredit the fact that men should learn about this as well. I'm telling the story on this one side. Yeah, and and when there are education programs for men, believe believe me, I'll be reporting it, and then you can yeah. say, you and then you everybody can sit back and be like, okay, okay, something has been done for the men.
0: So so in practicality, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. Like I think it's definitely <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> I know. that's great saying. if women can be trained to to not do that. But I'm I'm more saying philosophically, I guess that it's terrible that it has to come to this that we have to train women mm. to protect themselves, right?
1: Exactly. I think I think it's it's, it's definitely. Something to put in mind. It's not just to defend yourself against sexual predators, right? There are sex predators. There are so many other vile things that can happen to us. It can be robbers, it can be, I don't know, a gang that wants to mess you up. So it doesn't just about like women versus men. It's just women learning that they are capable of protecting themselves, they don't have to rely on anybody else. And I think it's a great boost of self-confidence for kids. So my story actually focuses on, on the kids' classes. This is, this is a class for kids. It's as heartbreaking as, as it is for me to stay there in the class. There was one little detail that I was trying so hard to blend in the story and I'm not going to spoil it. I mean, I'm not going to spoil the rest of the story, but I'm going to spoil this detail for the readers. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> well, what I will do is I'll put your stories in the show notes with a link so yes. anyone if you're listening go into the show notes and you'll be able to find a link to all these stories right. that this we're talking not a,
1: about but very much, mind this is not a breakthrough story it's just a very mundane but it's, I think it's an interesting read so you, you guys might have heard about the ex-prosecutor who may or may not touch a girl well the video show that he did um, he got one years and six months in jail so there was one thing that he told the press when he was, or the po- told the police when he was arrested and was questioned was that he petted her. He pet her. Um, he didn't do anything bad. He was just petted her. So the instructor in the self-defense class that I was observing, he used that word when he was staging an, an attack. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pet you. Let me pet you. And it hit me that that word itself from a very affectionate viewpoint, from a standpoint, has now become a tool to teach kids that men or anyone cannot touch them. That, for me, is is a huge... How do I say this? Is It was shocking, and it's not something that I want for my kids. If I were to use that word, I cannot use it now because somebody has voided. it. It was not supposed to be like that. So, for me, sexual abuse, in cases there are certain words and linguistic tools that predators use and it's just as it, and it will become this traumatic trigger if you were to be in that situation or if you were just emotionally affected by that story you will not be able to use that word anymore and for me as a journalist my whole life, my whole career is about words, right? And now I'm just traumatized by that word itself so that's detail for me it's very crucial to put it there
0: So I'll give I'll just um, give another reminder that Um, We'll probably move into maybe talking a little bit about your work regarding sexual abuse in Vietnam. And so again, if this uh, that is discomforting for you to hear, then please feel free to stop listening at this point. Um, And I do want to say as well, I really appreciate your work because uh, as a a stupid Westerner foreigner, and I've not. I've been ignorant enough not to learn the language. So I don't get access to all the information and and what's going on in Vietnam. So I do appreciate the work that you do and that VN Express does. It's really one of the only outlets that we can read Vietnamese news in English. And um, obviously, some of these cases are going nationwide. Like, so this ex-prosecutor that you're talking about, that was happened in District 4, where I used to live. And it happened in a building one of my friends lived in. And I've, I've seen it. It's absolutely disgusting and if you don't know what we're talking about again we'll have the link in the notes you can see it just this week he's been sentenced to a year and a half in jail which is fantastic but he's appealed it he's immediately, appealed right? immediately
1: after so we heard. have to
0: keep our eye on, on what's going to happen um
1: just a quick note um yes i do work for VN express the uh, english newspaper however all the views i'm i'm expressing here are mine and not any other publication that i work for
0: So I know that you wouldn't call yourself an expert on sexual abuse. Exactly. But you have written many articles about it lately. And not just yourself, it's getting more and more high profile in Vietnam. Mm. Obviously, this case with the ex-prosecutor. There was the ethics teacher up north. I remember that one was was quite recent. That was um, horrible. And more and more it's in the news, which is great, because if we can bring more attention to it, hopefully we can um, help prevent it. So in your opinion... What needs to change in Vietnam? What needs to happen in terms of policy, awareness, education, um, to help protect more children here?
1: Um, I have to uh, put it out there that sexual abuse has always been a problem, but it has only gained publicity and awareness in Vietnam just now, just just in recent years. And one of the reason is because open talk of sex is taboo. Everybody knows this in Vietnam. You can have some intimate conversation with your partner, maybe with your close friends, but when it comes to being sexually abused, it's not something easy to can talk about. And I feel like there should be safe space for people to be able to, to, to express themselves if they are being abused. And I'm talking in terms of household. Parents should be willing to listen to the story or at least notice the signs when they are being there's something wrong there. Um, also, sex education is not um, very a, a very established um, program here. It, there has been good news though. I did write a story about sex education in Vietnam and there has been progress since. Ho Chi Minh City itself is, is deploying um, sex education classes for I think Kids under 10 i'm not i don't i don't, I don't remember the, uh, the the announcement it was announced last week and that's a that's a great thing that you can see people are paying attention to something that is so natural for all of us sex everybody does sex we need sex to, pr- to reproduce and continue these species why are we not talking about it i don't want my kids to learn about sex through porn that i did that right and unfortunately i have to because there's no other means of, of learning it but now my I, I can see that we are making t- towards that that process yes you learn that sex education is beyond biological what is it coitus <laughs> is that <laughs> what it's used? um but there's also the other stuff like what is intimacy what is accept acceptable or not and i i don't know if the curtain um, program that Ho Chi Minh City is running is going to be like that. It's going to be like, oh, this is acceptance. This is not. This is this is a family petting you, and it is a man touching you appropriately. Do you you should know the difference. So I don't know if we are actually there yet, but just put it there. Just put the sex education program in all schools, and then we can start talking about all the, what is not acceptable or not. So yes, we are talking about that. There's there's also has. The, the, the Congress and the national government of, uh, officials have talked about readjust and mod, uh, and amend the uh, legal framework when it comes to sexual abuse. There has been uh, opinions that there should be, in the, in, in the National Assembly, that there should be harsher punishment for chi, child offenders. And, and uh, there should be clear definition of what is sexual harassment, what is sexual abuse. Um, and what is sexual molestation. For the first time, actually, uh, they have input what is sexual harassment at work in the law and I think that's fantastic and now we are talking both adult and kid offense and they, I, I think one of the root problems well, when it comes to sex- sexual abuse in Vietnam is that we don't know what it is. We, we don't know what is constitute a sexual abuse uh, and that was... What the debate of what the ex prosecutor did as well? Some people say, "Oh, he was just loving," you know, he was a grandfather. He was hugging someone of his granddaughter, but I I find that argument very problematic. We don't hug people like Vietnamese people. We don't hug like this is not something we do, especially strangers. Like why would you do that? So for me, from a cultural viewpoint, that that argument has already lost 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 my attention. Um. So yeah. So we don't well, we don't know what it is. What sexual abuse is. So. If we can define my legal framework, if it can be something of a discussion within the family itself, as like, this is not okay, this is okay, if you see, if you should always keep distance to strangers. I know this will go back to your original argument about like everybody's being too cautious, women and girls should feel safe wherever they are. Unfortunately, it's not as safe as we want to. So there should always be some attention going into what is okay and
0: what is not. It's interesting you're saying about providing education to children, especially what's the difference between, you know, affection, petting from a family member and sexual abuse, right? Because we obviously still have to show love and care to children, right? And there's a, there's a correct way to do that. and. It's a shame that that's being used as an excuse. You know, and I saw it on your article in the comments. One one person commented, you know, oh, but in Vietnam we're all called uncles and grandparents and, you know, we should be able to show affection. The man in the lift was just showing affection to this girl. And it is a shame because you don't want to lose that being able to show affection, which I've noticed in Vietnam can be very loving and very caring when you see somebody with a child and they're very affectionate towards them in a very clearly non-sexual way. That's a beautiful thing.
1: That's fine. The premise of it is, 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 is wonderful. Yeah, sure, we should be affectionate with each other. But I think the children should, be, should, be, should have to say in whether they're okay with that affection or not, whether they, they, they want to receive that affection. The, the camera footage of the ex, ex-particuter's cage clearly shows that the girl ran out. She ran out of the elevator as soon as it's open. The family
0: said she wasn't traumatized.
1: Well, I don't care what the family <laughs> say. I want to hear what she say. But in 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 uh, in light of child privacy protection, I'm okay with not hearing her. But it's just for the whole thing for me. I'm just I'm just focusing on the evidence we have. Yeah, it's a it's a camera footage. So for me, when it all comes to this, all comes to family values and family hierarchy in Vietnam all over again. That. Adults will say whatever they want. They're going to say, "Oh, we want to do this for you. You should be okay with it." No. Yes, there's certain there 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 are things that children should be taught. Like, should not do drugs. You should not have sex without condoms. You don't go out after twelve. If you if you're under sixteen, fine. Those are you should you should finish school with before you want to do anything major in your life because education is important. Yes, those are the must. But when it comes to affection, when it comes to how to uh, express themselves, express them what they want as children who are under 18, we should have a voice. I did not have this, and, and, I, and I feel that it affects us. And it's until we see children as little humans, but with the voice of the, of themselves, then we can start talking solution here. All of the solution I'm having at the adult level. I want to see something... Of, of the capacity of the mechanism that would give children the voice, tell them that they can speak their mind as well, and this is will help with our education because you you know this a lot of people are aware of the fact that many Vietnamese students are not expressive. They don't they don't say their opinions in class, and I feel like this will actually would help with the solution with with the problem we have. In and is that of abuse.
0: is that culturally because. Very much, I think, in Eastern culture, Asian culture, it's respect your elders, right? Or respect the person in authority. And is that where it comes in? So children are very, very um, reticent to speak up because they're taught from a young age. You don't, you
1: don't speak up. You talk up. back to, yeah. to, 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 to the elderly, to the adult, to your superiors, to your teacher. Yes, it is definitely a Vietnamese culture thing. I would not say it's an instant culture thing because I don't want to generalize. I know there's a lot of... Sorry if I generalize. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's it's a very um, common understanding. I think respecting the elderly is a uh, fair ethics to have, like ethical moral point to have. However, I don't necessarily agree with respecting the elderly no matter what. For me, it should start from a point of, like, I respect you for who you are, because you have ethics, because you have something for me to respect. The fact that you are old doesn't automatically mean I'm willing to give you my respect. And for me, th- that's for me, doesn't, it doesn't sit right. I know even though this is a culture thing, nobody question it, like not many people question it. But I question it. Everybody grows old why should i give you the, the, the privilege i will be old too it doesn't mean i'm going to expect everybody to respect me and respecting the elder should come from should not come from an authority point uh view, view standpoint if an elder person were to come to me and be like you have to respect me because i'm older than you they're not using logic to convince me they using their biological degradation everybody has that you are not the only one. Why do you? Why are you using this as, a, <laughs> as an just, argument?
0: I love that you just called someone. You used the term <laughs> biological degradation to call somebody <laughs> old. That is absolutely true but and it's a great true, way to call someone. Right? So because like you're you... more biologically degraded than <laughs> me. I'm not gonna no, listen to
1: no, just faster because there was more <laughs> before. I don't mean that. I don't mean. <laughs> no. That's a great way to put it. It's a very
0: scientific way to talk about being older, <laughs> but not. It's not just people being older; it's people in authority as well, right? Yeah, Which are generally I mean, older. I mean,
1: I I would definitely respect someone if they're if, if if they have merits in their argument. If they're going to use their biological feature to convince me, I'm I'm not convinced. I'm sorry. Um. So.
0: So if that's part of the problem is, you know, children are afraid to speak up because of this ingrained cultural um, thing where you respect your elders or people in authority and you don't speak up. What are some of the solutions then?
1: So um, when I was writing about sexual abuse, specifically of underage school kids done by teachers, I talked to UNICEF and this lady from UNICEF was telling me that there should be more encouragement, obviously, of students expressing themselves. Yes, definitely. I think that's more falls more under the responsibility of the teachers. But students should also know they have this right as well. They shouldn't wait for the teacher to tell them that they have this right. There should be a mechanism where students are getting access to the fact that they are aware of their rights to speak out. And also, she suggested that there should be a hotline uh, within the school that provides uh, anonymity mm-hmm. where student can report abuses I think that's very important I don't think we have that yet in school um, and also there ha- there's actually been solution by the government by the top government the Ministry of Education and Training in May made teaching prevention of sexual abuse mandatory in elementary school across Vietnam starting this year um, that's so, fantastic so essentially kids will learn what is good touch what is bad touch that's fantastic Mm. very excited about that
0: so reporting on something as serious as sexual abuse in children how has that affected you personally
1: it's very graphic there are stories there's things you read in the story because i put it there because i Pick out the best pieces that reflect the story, so the readers get to know what is going on. But it's there's also a graphic that I don't reveal, and I will only talk about it with friends or if anybody asks me within reason, I would tell them. So for me, is to deal with the fact that I'm losing faith in humanity every day writing these stories, and that's a trick, you know. Um, as a journalist, I feel I'm still, I'm still honing my skills. I'm, I'm no expert. I'm not very senior. I'm, I'm, I'm earning my stripes, but as a journalist, I understand, my understanding is that you have to teach yourself that everything is interesting in order to report about the reality that we live in. And I don't find sexual abuse details interesting. It's not interesting. It's, it's disgusting, but I have to package it in a way so that people are aware of this problem. So for me, that's very, that's very difficult. Um, for me to, to have to jump through, I have to power through that emotional breakdown that this is happening to kids in my age and kids younger than me. So it has affected me in a way that I would find myself like trembling. I couldn't type, I can't believe this is happening to, to some of the kids and a lot of my cousins at, at their age as well. And when I got through that, I pick up the phone, I call my aunt and my uncle. And I tell them, this is what I, what, this is what I know. This is what's happening. Are you talking to your kids about it? So I have managed to manifest or to to transform my fear, me being shocked, into something, into into some action besides writing. And I'm not going to be. I want to separate my journalism and my activities to counter this problem. I don't want them to 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 um conclude. Um, so I'm going to care my family I'm going to tell them what I know we never talk about this in my family my grandmother has seven kids so I have six uncles and aunties and each and every one of them has their own family so you can imagine how big that is my father has six brothers as well so like they having their own big nuclear families and I want to be the one who break down the side I'm like let's talk about sex (laughs) So I think. Oh no! Like I, it'll, it'll be whisper. Like I, I don't, I don't raise black and like go into them like a like a yeah. riot. I'm like, let's yeah. talk about this. I don't, I don't do that. I wish, I wish, but like they will probably tone me down. Um, I would, I would, I would try to sneak in the conversation very, very subtly, mm. but like it's gonna hit making a part of hard. the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How do you not lose faith in humanity like you said there? Like what do you do to keep yourself positive? Because it's so tough and like even when I've read your articles it can make you be like "Ah, people are so horrible but what do you do to keep yourself positive?
1: I'm going to teach myself not to be numb first. I'm going to teach myself to keep repeating to myself that this is not normal. Even though we are reporting this every day there's always cases of somebody being raped and impregnated by the teacher this is not normal, even though it's repeatedly happening. And for me that's even more challenging than to stay positive. Um, once you normalize something, you, you lose the urge to solve it. Yeah, so then that's that's for me it's more even more challenging. Um, how do I get fake in humanity? I keep I keep people who are countering this problem in my loop. I will talk to them. I will keep up to date with what they're doing and keep asking my solutions. What can I do? Um, as a journalist, I mean, I've already done my job. Um, that's all writing, <laughs> writing about it. But um, yes.
0: Give me an example then. I want to hear some, one of those people that keep you positive. Give me an example of something you hear about something positive that someone's doing and you're like, yes, something good is happening.
1: So I mentioned earlier about a, a Vietnamese woman who became a South Korean police officer she's a fantastic example she's one of the only seven vietnamese police officers in south korea she had to give up her nationality to be one you can't be a vietnamese citizen and be a south korean police officer so a story like that keep, keep my hopes up and like she has to go through all these barriers you have to give up with nationality you have to learn a different language you have to catch criminals in korean i can't even like converse my needs in Koreans, and she's doing this. So 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 stories like that uh, keep my hopes up. And Blue Dragon is doing a wonderful job. Um, I'm actually so when it comes to all this sexual abuse stuff, yes, it's everything everybody knows is bad. You, from moral standpoint, there's no argument. There's, un, un it's undoubtedly that is um uh, is vile. But you, we need technical skills for that as well you can't just be like oh it's bad what can we do i'm actually getting training about that i was in hanoi earlier for a fellowship where i'm taught to be i don't know if that's, that's a word a sex ed um fellowship so i'm, I'm going I'm, I'm i'm going to get a certificate in in that field where i can talk technical skills and i i i can have technical knowledge when it comes to sex education and I feel that's very important as a journalist and as a person, I should know what it is about that aspect. Um, so yes, solution that I see around me that I can do myself, knowledge is where I go to keep my humanity, of uh, keep my fading humanity alive here. That I know things can be done, it's just that it's, it's going to take time.
0: That's so great to hear, you know, because it is a really confronting topic not what you want to talk about it's horrible but it exists and it's out there and so it's good to hear that you're not getting uh, it's not wearing you down
1: oh it is <laughs> it is but it's rebuilt itself every day yeah. we rebuild also every day with new new mm. things we learn right we got broken down at the end of the day and then tomorrow tomorrow you rise up you patch the pieces together and hopefully we, we you you evolve to something greater and more meaningful of your a better self
0: so what's been the general response to your articles?
1: Very mixed. I'm trying to stay on the positive side because I know that once my work is put out there, it's going to be scrutinized. It's going to be booed by the naysayers, right? So I'm trying to, I'm still working on can like dealing with that. But there has been a lot of positive responses like yourself, like again, coming back to my original point, you should know there's a problem. You, should only, you can only solve a problem if you know there's a problem there. Um, everybody knows sexual abuse happens, happens everywhere. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I want people to know how it's happening. That's the question I'm most fascinated about. How and why. Um, so I'm trying to push that further. I'm not going to judge the general responses of my, of my story. I'm happy there, there are responses from the get-go right? If it's numb, it to be like, whatever, nobody's reading it, then I'm going to be worried. But there are responses, and I'm going to keep up to date with those responses to see what they say.
0: Has it affected your relationships with with, with men, or I don't know if you're lesbian, if with women, has it, has it impacted on your sexual relationship? Because for me, that's such a tough and horrible thing to write about. Has that had an impact on your life?
1: No, it has not. Unfortunately, I've I've been very lucky to meet like-minded people. At least when it comes to sexual integrity, we have mutual respect, and I'm I'm very vocal. I'm very vocal about what I do and what I believe in. Um, so it's actually strengthened uh, my relationship uh, with uh, with people around me, with my romantic partner. I I, I don't think it's actually affect us in any way um, it affect me personally but I'm not going to exert my anger of what is happening in the world on whoever I'm with I don't think it's fair unless they are portraying they showing some signs that they are doing something wrong then that's a different <laughs> story but I haven't I, I I I think because I'm aware of all this problem I would know who are the red flags what are the red flags. so I wouldn't be even begin to be with with those people so no, it has not affected my personal life.
0: Good. No, that's great to hear. Well, thank you so much for telling me all about your articles. If anyone's listening and you were concerned about listening to stories of sexual abuse, we're now going to move on. So there'll be no more talk of that. So if you have skipped through and you're looking for a part where we we do move on from those kind of stories, this, this is the part now where you can start listening again. So you're...
1: Just a side note, I do I do write about other stuff, other than <laughs> sexual abuse. <laughs> yeah, sexual abuse is not the only passion I have Well, for I was going to say, you
0: did write about, I read your article about the My Lai Massacre,
1: the My Lai
0: Massacre, my Lai Massacre to, uh, just this morning, and I actually had tears in my eyes at the gym reading uh-huh. that. So I'll post that one, because um, I've been aware of the, Ma- the My Lai Massacre. For a few years now, and it's just one of the most horrible atrocities ever. So we'll post that article. Um, and I was going to say, so, so tell me a little bit about your, I read your article about transgender and LGBTQ. Can you tell me a little bit about that in Vietnam? Because we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, we had Daniel Doan, who's an out and proud Vietnamese man in season one. Um, it's come up a couple of other times. I've been most impressed in Vietnam that it seems to be that and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Daniel kind of backed me up on this, that there doesn't seem to be too much discrimination towards LGBTQ in Vietnam in terms of um, daily life. Like, I feel like it's, it, and he was kind of saying the same, like, people just don't really care. It's kind of like, yeah, you are who you are. Mm. Um, I don't know, would you find that to be true as well? And, and what's your experience writing, writing about that community?
1: I, I would agree with what was his name? Daniel,
0: Daniel Duan. Yeah, he's. You, you haven't listened. You got to go back to season. Oh, sorry. One. Yes,
1: I will. I will yeah, go homework. back to season one. <laughs> listen to
0: his episode so he, I, um, I we agree, talk about that extensively. I agree
1: with him, at least in Ho Chi Minh City. I'm, I'm feeling that. Yeah, Ho, Ho Chi Minh City. It. Sorry, Ho Chi yeah. Minh <laughs> City. You can't say Vietnam. That's a yeah, yeah. Sorry. It. So
0: let's specify. We did talk about it. It's very different once you mm. leave Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah.
1: I'm definitely going to say that Ho Chi Minh City is much more open-minded about LGBT presence and. Um, their expressions, which is lovely. This is one of the reason why I love Ho Chi Minh City. love Saigon um, However, it's very different for one to be indifferent about one's sexuality and Actually respect it. I guess it's like, oh, okay, I don't care what you do just as long as you keep it away from my sight That's very different from I don't care who you are. Just be happy and be whatever you want. And mean.
0: which one is which one of those? It's two? Do...
1: is very mixed. Right, I would okay. say, um, I I don't want to generalize. I know what are that has what has been the reaction to the LGBT presence, and I would say those are the two. Or the third one would be like, but this is fantastic. I'm going to be part of this movement. I'm going to advocate your rights. So for me. Those are the three responses or reaction I've seen in Saigon. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say other city because I haven't been, been to other city. In Saigon, I've seen those. Yeah.
0: And so from, from the conversation with Daniel, there doesn't seem to be too much discrimination against people from that community, would that be right, in, in Saigon? In terms of talking about job prospects, you know, general treatment in life, they're generally treated quite equally.
1: There, no. there's not a lot of uh, health services of offered to LGBT people.
0: I so that feel. would be a problem then.
1: Yeah, that's I. But I don't know if that would be called discrimination. It's just a lack mm. of that. Um,
0: and is that improving?
1: It, it is improving. We Saigon has the first LGBT focus uh, hospital or like clinic or something. A couple of months ago, that's fantastic. Um, and the LGBT, uh, the transgender law, also stipulates a lot of uh, access to health services. Unfortunately, it has not come out. It has not been, um, it has not been passed as a bill. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really expecting to see that happening soon.
0: Oh, that's good. And last question before we move on to the final questions that I ask everybody. My last question. Which one do you prefer, Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh City?
1: That's a trick question. I'm not going to get away with that answer. I'm not going to answer it. Hoi An.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. We'll leave it at that. Hoi An's pretty awesome. So we're going to finish with a series of questions we ask uh, every guest this at the end of each episode in season two. First question is what kind of bike do you drive, if any?
1: Scooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. White scooter. I have a lot of uh, leg space. Which I am private in airport on airplane, so I'm very happy about that.
0: And so, have you always driven in Ho Chi Minh City?
1: Oh, of course, I've been driving when I was since I was sixteen. And how do you handle the traffic here? We're now jeans, man. Yeah. We're Vietnamese. What kind of pressure is that?
0: <laughs> well, I asked two last week. I said, "How do you deal? Why is there not road rage here? Because you know, in the west, road rage. You know, in the west, there you are get road, road rage. There, not really. Everyone's so chilled. There's like just oh! chaos going on left, <laughs> and right center. Then? <laughs> I've been here three years. You barely see anyone get angry. I feel like I'm the angriest man on the road, and I don't really do anything. I'm just in my head. I'm like, I sit in
1: Hanoi a lot. Really, I don't, I don't see it here. No. For, for me. For me, oh, I'm not gonna get away from this answer either. Uh. But me driving in central areas in Saigon is so much nicer than than the same experience in Hanoi. Okay. Central areas, like downtown areas mm. in Hanoi, people drive with a helmet and honk at you and they give you the eyes and and I don't want to give them the same eyes. Like it's, this <sighs> Saigon. is not happening the same. Every it's not the same. Everybody has helmet. They seem civil. There's some idiots, but. In my experience, it's nicer to drive in Saigon than Hanoi. Yeah,
0: I oh haven't God. really driven in Sa- in Hanoi, but I mean, yeah, it's really civil here, despite just the absolute chaos. And Tú's Tú's answer was that it's the the Buddhism, what? The fact that Buddhism <laughs> is so prevalent here—that's why everyone's so. Seriously? Kind of zen. That was oh wow! Answer.
1: I was about to. I, I I wasn't going to take. I wasn't going to talk about it from that angle, but it's interesting. It she mentioned that. Does that mean that Hanoi is not Buddhist? I didn't (laughs) didn't notice. (laughs) Wait, what does that mean? Um, But if you notice, there are not a lot of police officers on the street here. No. None. None. In Hanoi, it's every corner.
0: Oh, really? There's
1: many of them. Yeah. Police officers, like traffic ones.
0: Now, one thing is, uh, you see this often in, in Ho Chi Minh, and I'm sure nationwide. What's the oddest thing you've seen on a bike?
1: At first, when I saw this question, I thought of a slit. Pig. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's pretty odd, right? Like,
1: yeah. It's odd, but then again, it's like, well, they have to transport it somehow. <laughs> it's not that odd, but like the second thing that I, I, I think of is like, I see old couple driving each other and they would hug each other and you would see the man driving, but then one hand is on, it's one of his arm is wrapped around his belly. And under that is the girls, it's, it's a woman's hand. That's for me, it's so bizarre because I only see young couples doing that. And I don't see old people doing it. I mean, by old, old I mean like... Old people have sex too, remember? <laughs> sure, in, in private. I just don't <laughs> see them show affection, you know, on a bike, driving. and like, very affectionately, like, a guy would put his hand on, on, the, on, on the woman's hand. I'm like, that's beautiful. That's so freaking odd. Like, I don't see my parents do that. I, for me, that would be a lovingly odd thing.
0: Lovingly odd thing. That's, <laughs> that's beautiful. All right, you have 24 hours off, no more journalism, no more reporting. You can take a day off. What do you do with yourself?
1: I'm gonna be so vanilla. Uh, <laughs> I wanna go to the beach. Um, so, my perfect day. Well, which
0: beach? Because Saigon, there's not many beaches near here.
1: So, go and oh. tell your perfect 24 hours off. I'm gonna be so vanilla. Oh, you, you guys are gonna judge me. Uh, my. It's gonna be personal as well. Uh, my perfect day would be I wake up, I have a very nice, fruity breakfast. Have sex? <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. god. Uh, I think it's very practical, yeah? It's 24 hours. Something should be fun in that. <laughs> 24 hours to have sex. And then I would spend the whole morning reading by in a brightly lit room. Or it can be by the garden, it can be by the beach. And then have lunch and disc- with either a philosopher or an activist. So I can have a... Heated debate with them at lunch, and then in the afternoon I would, I would I I I I I love 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 cycling, um around the lake. So I would like to do that for two hours, and then do yoga. Maybe sexy. (laughs) Oh my god! I guess should we cut this out? (laughs) I I'm not is it the same person not different
0: <laughs> <laughs> No just going cycling around the lake I mean, and
1: yeah, just randomly I mean, I'm I'm i like I want to spend uh, 24 hours for me in a perfect day would be spending with the people that I love and I care about So the activities of like cycling, a reading can be done alone but other stuff I would like other of <laughs> the people and I would cap up the night with a lovely dinner with uh, my friends who are in and I very miss them.
0: Do you have a particular restaurant you would go to? Are
1: we talking Saigon?
0: Sure. There's the Saigon
1: podcast. Podcast. Oh, so many. Um, I really love this uh, vegetarian restaurant. It's very small scale, but the the, services are, the food is great. I'm more of a food over ambience person, so I would definitely recommend Tip Restaurant on Fan Kế Bing Street. Uh, very very affordable and the food is lovely. Yeah, cool. we'll be- put
0: that in the notes as well. we'll <laughs> get the link for this that. It's not
1: a PR statement. I'm just uh, stating I oh, don't want to talk
0: about restaurants <laughs> and beer and every everything all the time. Um, so, if you had the next week to explore Vietnam, where would you go?
1: What? Oh, I've never been to Con I would love to go to Con Dao. See, uh, you would uh, uh, like in daytime. You would absorb all the suffering of the <laughs> prison feel and at night you enjoy yourself by the beach. Feel like that's a... I, I sound so vanilla when it comes to this question, but yeah this uh, my needs are very simple.
0: I don't I don't understand the definition of vanilla when you've just talked about <laughs> sex for well, like the last five minutes. Uh, but I also Condo. I don't know why that's vanilla Because that, Condo. I've not been But I've heard It's beautiful I've, I know people Who've stayed at the Six Senses Which uh, would be a dream mm. a, a bit, No but that, the reason that, Why that I say pricey. vanilla Is
1: because like It's just one of the Major de- tourist destinations I can't, I can't think can it I of not think I don't know what Is
0: I don't think That comes off the tip Of the tongue When yeah. you think of Tourist destinations Well, well that's good Then I'm not so, vanilla yeah, no, Condao is a good one I, I, wanna, I do want to go there Me and my wife We definitely want to Check that out, but I don't know if we'll stay at the six senses. Maybe if they listen to this and they're like, oh yeah, you can come up here and record an episode and <laughs> <laughs> have a free night, that would be pretty awesome. Oh wow. And then the final question is, uh, do you have a hidden gem in Saigon that you can share with our listeners?
1: Gem. My house? I, I don't I don't go out and 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 work out in front of people. No, no,
0: no, wait, wait, wait. Not a gym. Gem. G a gem. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a second language user. No, no, sorry. It's my Scottish accent. <laughs> no, no, it's not yours. Do you Please have a hidden... bear in my listener. I oh. make a lot of mistakes in this podcast oh, no. and oh, I know it. But Listen,
0: native speakers can't understand me. This is not a you <laughs> problem. This is a me problem with my accent. Do you hidden. have a hidden gem that you can share with our listeners?
1: I don't think it's hidden, but when you drive by 2TM uh, bridge, there's that section when you look to the right, you see Petexco, you see the middle finger building, and and you see just you see this massive piece of Saigon that is not Saigon anymore at nighttime, and it hits you that the city is growing with or without you. So for me, it's like it's like a point where I question my where I have like a mild existential crisis because <laughs> it's. It's, it's, it's very, it's like a hidden gem where you like reflect on yourself in the city where you lived in. So yeah, when you drive by tm bridge and you look to the right at nighttime, you see those massive blocks. So take a look at that.
0: Perfect. We'll put a link on the website as well for the, the dot on the map where you can go and check that out as well. So thank you so much. This has been incredible. Like, so like. Fun, But also like obviously really deep and interesting and there are some problems in vietnam like every country as well And I think there, are, there is a lot of work to do and i'm glad that somebody like yourself is shining a light on it That um, obviously having a media presence having the media report on these things Is one of the most important things because if people don't know that it's happening Then there's not going to be a solution like you said so while it can be confronting and while it's horrible to read about it is happening and it's out there and the only way we can really start to, to change is to learn about it and then take action. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I, I've worked with children my whole life. I think it's one of the most abhorrent things in the world. And so the fact that we can start to make a difference uh, is supremely important. So well done on your work. What What's next? What have you got? Obviously, you don't need to tell us about specific articles that you may be writing, but what's next for you in your career?
1: Right. I'm, I'm looking forward to write more stories about children. At the end of the day, I'm not I think what i'm actually the message i want to send is that i want children in vietnam to have more voice to not to have more voice they do have voice for them to have means to express them because i was just this, this deprived of this opportunity again with the old oh, cultural hierarchy or whatever and i really want to break that down um i will not be ready to have children on my own if this problem is not sorted
0: so what would be your, your hopes and dreams then for the future in terms of what we've been talking about today?
1: I really wish that we had more transparency when it comes to information. And we are, we are going towards that direction and I'm very happy about that. I also hope that people don't see vulnerability and compassion as weaknesses. Those are usually characterized as feminine characters. I think men have that too, but you guys are just so screwed when it comes to, like, you have to you have to suppress those feelings and, and those elements, and I feel like it should be expressed more. So, yeah, I want Vietnam to have that. Awesome.
0: Well, let's hope, and I think it's good that we're... we're I think it's getting that way, as you said, like, legislation's changing, policies changing... People are becoming more aware of it. There's more education in school. So I think it's moving in the right direction, as always with many of these things. It's going too slowly, but hopefully it can speed up and um, we'll get to a better place. So thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your weekend. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to Sen. She's been an amazing guest. Um, It's been an awesome episode. And I hope uh, that people have enjoyed listening to you. And um, look out for future episodes.
1: Thank you for having me now.
0: You're very welcome. Have a great day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to episode two of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast, and a massive thank you to my guest, Sen Win for um, not obviously being uh, thoroughly interesting, but entertaining to listen to as well. It was good to hear that she still um, could make light of it and wasn't too beaten down by the seriousness of her reporting that she does. I think she does a fantastic job, and it's great to shine a light on these issues, Um, however discomforting they might be. It's good to get that message out there education and see that you know things are changing for the better maybe not as fast as we'd like but it's still good to see thanks for listening as always it's great to know that so many people out there across the world are tuning in if you want to leave me a message you can get me at 7millionbikes at gmail.com or send me a message on our facebook or um, just leave a review that would be great if you are looking for where you can listen you can listen anywhere google podcast apple podcast stitcher um, Spotify, or the websites 7millionbikes.com So thanks again for listening, check out the previous episodes if you've missed any and if you've got any suggestions for someone that you'd like to hear being interviewed, drop me a line, let me know who they are, we can maybe try and get in touch and see if they want to come on the show. So thanks again I really appreciate you listening, have a great day